0: The sun is getting warmer, the sky stays a little brighter, and signs of spring are all around. Have you seen them yet? Have you heard them yet? The pecking and chirping of birds greets me every morning as I wake up, and I find myself spending more and more time with the windows cracked open and the fresh air flowing through my house. But the spring routine I am enjoying most nowadays is taking a tour around my yard and walking up and down the street to marvel at the new growth coming from the earth. What is it about nature and flowers that can ground us so easily? The rich colors and intricate designs? The sense of pride that comes with nurturing and taking care of something? Plants have the ability to completely captivate us, or completely frustrate us. Whether they grow in a pot on a window ledge, in a backyard or community garden, or in between the cracks on the sidewalks, plants hold special meanings in our lives. So join us today as we discover the magic of gardens through storybooks. Good morning everyone, I'm Alison Dijack. And this is Midtown Bookshelf. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. My name is Allison Dijack, and we're so happy you could join us today. I'm here with my co hosts, Matt Rappolt. Good morning. And Serena McDermott. Hello. So today, uh, we decided for our topic to think about what's going on around us outside. As the days are growing warmer and more and more folks are getting out and are in the beginning stages of gardening, we wanted to celebrate this week with picture books all about gardens. So I know for me, gardening holds a lot of nostalgia. Growing up, I was lucky enough to get to learn about gardening from my parents and grandparents. So I find now that when I do my own gardening, it always brings me back to those moments. Serena and Matt, do either of you have a memory of gardening when you were younger?
1: So for me personally, um, my parents planted tulip bulbs on either side of our front walkway when I was young. And so around this time every year, we start to see the little tulip heads pushing through the dirt. And by the end of April, we were greeted by these beautiful tulips of reds and yellows and purples. And there were literally dozens of them all up and, uh, up and down the walkway and all over our uh, front gardens. So I really, really enjoy um, springtime and I love getting out there in our garden and that really, anytime I see tulips, it always brings me back to my childhood.
0: Nice. What about you, Serena?
2: Um, probably my most salient memories of gardening are from when I was a very young child, like three and four years old at my very first house I ever lived in. Um, one of my younger sisters and I and my mom, we would plant seeds. And just I felt such wonder at the fact that these plants, these uh, you know, things that we could benefit from, could grow from something so small, like almost like something coming from nothing. We would plant uh, sunflower seeds, then the sunflowers just seemed to be like stories tall. I'm sure they were probably like three or four feet tall, but they seemed like, you know, jack and the beanstalk level to me. And I remember planting pumpkins and my sister's pumpkin was so much bigger than mine and I was so jealous of her. <laughs> so th- those are some of my more fond
0: gardening memories. Yeah, growing up, uh, my family had a vegetable garden, and just always it was so amazing to see the amount of vegetables that could come out of it. Um, there's this great picture of me and my brother when we were younger, and we grew this humongous, humongous pumpkin. I was probably three, so I don't really remember it that much, but I've seen the picture many times. It was probably as tall as me. (laughs) It's a huge pumpkin and, and I have lots of memories of picking bowls and bowls of tomatoes and cucumbers and all those great things. So now as an adult, have either of you had any exciting successes as a gardener, like whether it's an indoor or an outdoor plant, anything that's been like a woohoo moment <laughs> trying to take on uh, the adventures of gardening?
1: Well, for the past few years, I've been really into the craft beer scene. And so a few years ago, I thought it would be a great idea to start growing some hop plants, hops being one of the key ingredients in making beer. So Allison, you and I, we both Mm -hmm. uh, ordered online three plugs, three little shoots of cascade hops, and we put them in the garden, not quite knowing what to expect, whether they'd grow or whether they'd sort of fizzle out. And uh, to our great astonishment, they in the first year, I think they were almost 20 feet high. They Mm -hmm. were enormous, and we were able to harvest, I would say, at least 100 or 150 little hop cones. And we haven't really used them uh, very much because we don't brew beer, (laughs) I don't brew beer anymore. So if anyone, any of our listeners knows of what we can do uh, with lots and lots of little hop cones, we're expecting another big harvest this year from the hop plant. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I guess for me, I don't have a lot of uh, space to actually do gardening outside, but I do have some house plants that I love taking care of. And the one I'm most proud of would be my ZZ plant. It's a pretty slow growing plant, but I've had it for going on eight years now. And I've actually had, um, we just had a repair person come by a few weeks ago and he was commenting on it saying, that's the
0: biggest ZZ plant I've ever seen, that's amazing. (laughs) And I felt so proud. Great, yeah, I have have the same thing at home. Uh, I have a plant that I bought like probably six years ago now. I bought it from a thrift store. I don't even know the name of it. And when I bought it, it was about one foot tall. And it's now probably like four or maybe even five feet tall with its pot. It's just been growing little by little every year. And I'm so proud of it. I feel like I'm very protective of it. So I love that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into our books today, uh, I wanted to start us off with a song to get us in that kind of happy spring mood. So this is Gang of Rhythm by Walk Off the Earth.
3: Enjoy. I got this old guitar, the strings are rusty, but it's all I need. Bring in the kick drum, making back the beat. Let's gather around and sing a song. Hey, I got a shaker too, the kind of sound that wants to make.
0: just tuning in, welcome to Midtown Bookshelf here on Midtown Radio. My name is Allison, and I'm here with Matt and Serena and today we are celebrating books about gardening. So Matt, what book did you bring for us today?
1: Well, have you ever planted a seed and had it get just a little bit bigger than you expected? <laughs> Maybe the plant grew and grew and grew until it took over your garden a little bit?
0: Yes. Definitely. <laughs> I've
2: seen that before, for sure.
1: <laughs> well, in the book I brought today, that same thing happens, except the seeds that are planted do more than take over a garden. They take over an entire city. The book is called Tokyo Digs a Garden by John Eric Lepano and illustrated by Kellen Hanataka. And this is a book that I found both very charming and at the same time, a little bit foreboding. It playfully riffs on the magic beans folktale trope, if you think Jack and the Beanstalk, to offer a very poignant critique of human's relationship to nature. And this book is one that feels both very contemporary as well as very timely as human beings continue to face the escalating and ongoing challenges of climate change. And in an interview with CBC Books, John Eric LePano said that he'd actually been sitting on this story for a long time, about 10 years actually, wanting to write the story of a city overtaken and overrun by nature. He said that his inspiration for the text and for the character of Tokyo came from his work creating Japanese gardens as a landscaper in Toronto. And the time he paid developing this idea certainly paid off for him, as this book, Tokyo Digs a Garden, has been absolutely inundated with praise and awards. The book won the 2016 Governor General's Award for Young People's Literature and was also a finalist for the TD Canadian Children's Literature Award. What I love about this story is how it really plays with readers' emotions. Lepano's use of the fantastical and the magical really is striking in in contrast to the images of the city and everyday life that's in the story as well. And that's especially true in the way that he presents the personalities of the city and the personalities of the garden that overtakes it. Now, apparently this book is... Uh, for uh, kids ages three to seven, but I would also recommend it for anybody up to maybe grade six, grade seven even, because it does bring in these elements of the apocalypse. And it does sound a little bit apocalyptic in the way that the nature uh, comes in and takes over the city. So I'd recommend it to anybody from young children all the way up to middle, uh, middle school age students. So without further ado, now that I've whetted your appetite for this, here is Tokyo Digs a Garden by John Eric Lepano and illustrated by Kellen Hanataka. Tokyo lived with his mother, his father, his grandfather, and a cat named Kevin in a small house that stood among tall buildings. Tokyo's grandfather father, had lived in that sm- small house since he was a boy. He loved to tell stories of how things used to be. Then the house looked over the hills and the forests and the meadows and the streams. Deer grazed on the hills. Foxes ran through the forests. Birds sang in the meadows. Salmon leaped from the streams. But now all of that was gone. Tokyo's grandfather said the city had eaten it all up. Cities had to eat something, after all. One sunny spring afternoon, Tokyo and Kevin were playing on the doorstep when they heard the music of an ice cream truck. Kevin jumped quickly over the gate. Kevin loved ice cream. But when they got to the street, they saw that there was no ice cream truck at all, just an old cart pulled by an old bicycle Pedaled by an even older woman. The cart was not full of ice cream. It was full of dirt. And Kevin was very disappointed. The old woman held out her hand. She was holding three seeds. Plant these seeds, said the old woman, and they will grow into whatever you wish. She dropped the seeds into Tokyo's hand and continued along the road. Tokyo shrugged, put the seeds into his pocket, and followed Kevin back into the house. At lunch, Tokyo put the seeds on the table. Grandfather looked at the seeds, and he looked up at the small piece of sky peeking out between the tall buildings. Today is a good day for planting, he said. Tokyo gulped down his glass of water, pretending he was a city drinking up a deep, cold lake. Tokyo went into his backyard where nothing was growing, not even a weed. He looked down at the ground and wondered where he would plant the seeds. A little bug crawled slowly across the bricks before disappearing into a crack. Tokyo had an idea. He lifted the brick and underneath was cool, sandy soil. He made three holes with his finger, dropped one seed into each, and quietly made his wish. Then Tokyo covered the seeds with dirt. The next morning, Tokyo heard a bird singing. He peeked out his window and he saw three small wildflowers sprouting up from the bricks in the middle of the yard. He ran to tell his grandfather, but when he got to his kitchen, grandfather was already staring out the window in disbelief i've never seen anything grow that fast and tokyo's garden kept growing after breakfast the bricks around the flowers were completely covered with soft spongy moss by dinner Three trees had grown, and the moss had become a meadow of wild flowers and shrubs. The next day, huge trees towered over apartments. Their strong roots broke the pavement. Vines climbed skyscrapers. Water poured from the hydrants, flooding the streets and turning them into rivers. The day after that, the city was completely wild. Deer foraged in office lobbies. Rabbits burrowed under library carpets. Bears climbed telephone poles to search for honey where bees had made their hives. Tokyo, Grandfather, and Kevin lay on their backs in the yard. This garden is much too big, said Grandfather, shaking his head. The cars can't drive. The streets are full of jumping salmon. Your mother had to take an old rowboat to work today, and there was a sloth in the elevator at your father's office. What are we going to do? Tokyo thought for a moment. Above him, a pack of monkeys swooped from branch to branch in the canopy. I think, said Tokyo, we will just have to get used to it grandfather watched a flock of cranes flying across the small piece of sky peeking out between the trees I think maybe you are right he said gardens have to grow somewhere after all and that's the end of the book what did you think of that one
0: I really like that
2: so interesting raises a lot of big
0: questions yeah yeah it's it's yeah, wow. <laughs> I really like that. Very captivating.
1: It is. I found that book to be incredibly, it just very immersive because of the way he blends the fairy tale ideas with this sort of like, sort of whimsical apocalyptic mm-hmm. sense. I don't know how to describe it even. Um, I found it to be a really captivating book.
2: And sort of timely right now, you know, as our world has changed in the past few weeks um it it was making me think of some of the photos i've been seeing like out of banff where you have you know like elk running through the streets and you know you sort of have nature retaking a lot of space in cities these days Mm -hmm. as people are staying indoors more and more
1: yeah i agree
0: yeah i'm sorry I i like how it's kind of it's framed in a way to be chaotic, that the plants are everywhere and the animals are everywhere. But it's also framed to be kind of like, well, maybe it's a good thing. You know, it's I like the balance that it strikes between, yeah, this being this kind of chaotic crisis that's happening in the city, but also has this undertone of like maybe this is the way that it should be. I really like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's that it's that perfect marriage in between like the whimsical and the wild like the the it's presented as being in a very kid-friendly language but i could e- easily see something like this being like a hollywood movie and that would be in like a thriller genre or something yeah. like that
2: um, i'd be really interested to see the illustrations with this because i think um, the color palette that you chose for this book would really shape your experience of the book. If you're looking at these dark, grim pictures, this could feel like a very scary experience. Whereas if you're seeing like bright uh, sunshine colors, you could think, wow, this is really like exciting and, mm-hmm. and a great thing that the the Earth is kind of taking its space back.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I will say that the the uh, the illustrations fit perfectly with that idea. Um, but I wanted to think I wanted you to to maybe think about yourself as a child for a second. Put on your size two Velcro shoes and your little <laughs> cap with the spinner on it, and I wanted you to, I wanted to think of like if you were a kid listening to this story or maybe you're you listen to it in a read aloud in class what would you take from this story how would you interpret especially the ending with the um the jungle reclaiming the city how how would you take that as a a child
2: i think for me as a child this um would probably just be something that kind of opens my mind to the to the idea that things don't have to be be the way that they are right now like, I think as a kid, especially, you think everything in life is a foregone conclusion. Everything has to be the way that it is. And of course it is this way. So I think for me, it would just be opening my mind to say, oh, you know what? You know, we we were the ones who built these cities. We didn't have to build the cities. We didn't have to build them the way that they are. And nature could, you know, be manifested in
0: our cities in different ways. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually kind of thinking, not the complete opposite but I wonder if a child may view this story as like almost a bit of a silly story like it's so far-fetched that um, you know these animals would be integrated into the city and they're in the elevators and the office buildings and I wonder I wonder if they might just see it as like a silly story that's just kind of fun and goofy and oh wouldn't it be great if the jungle, creeped its way into our city Um, so I wonder if kind of younger kids may see it that way and then just as they get a bit older it can kind of they can view it with that more critical lens um, of how this something like this could actually be mirrored in our own society.
2: Yeah, Allison, I think that maybe might be up to the adult who's sharing the book. I think the way that you present it to the kids, if you lay it out as, oh, I have this really funny, exciting story to share with you, then uh, kids might have more of the experience that you describe. Mm -hmm. And if you're um, challenging kids ahead of time saying, I have this um, really deep story I want you to think about, what is the message here, then they might be a little more primed. Um, yeah to have some deeper reflections
3: yeah,
1: yeah serena i kept thinking as i was reading the story of exactly how I would frame this book in a read aloud or in an introduction uh for a class and i just there's so many ways you can take this book i mean i think it really is rich material for classes of all ages and that's why i think that it would be so applicable to such a wide age range as well
0: mm-hmm yeah, really, really great book, Matt. Thanks you. Thank you for bringing that today, and it's a nice way to kick off our gardening episode today. Um, so what song did you bring with you to match your book today?
1: Well, this book was all about the wild and wilderness, so I wanted to find a song that matched that. So from their very appropriately titled album, The Wild, mm-hmm. here is Toronto's finest folk punk outfit with their ominous ode inspired by the Fort McMurray wildfires, another aspect of climate change. Here is the song Beacon Hill by the Rural Alberta Advantage.
3: There's a voice screaming in the haze, I let in to the cold. No
2: Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. I'm here with Allison Dijak and Matt Rappold, and this is Serena McDermott. We're about to share a book um, in our gardening series. Allison, what book did you bring with you?
0: Thanks so much. So today I brought The Little Green Girl, which is written and illustrated by Lisa Ankin. Um, So this book uh, is by Lisa Ankin and she is an illustrator from Brooklyn in New York and this was actually the first book that she's written. So she's worked on illustrating a few and then eventually she found that she wanted to write one of her own. So this was released in 2019. And I really, really loved this book. I had never heard of it before um, this week and I just felt that it was a really nice kind of easygoing, happy, positive book. Um, it's something I think that younger kids would enjoy just as kind of a happy view of uh, plants and flowers and it also kind of challenges our views on how we might see plants and how we can kind of interact with them in the world. So I'm gonna read uh, a bit of the book for you today. Here is The Little Green Girl, written and illustrated by Lisa Ankin. The little green girl, like so many great things, began as a tiny seed. One bright morning, she unexpectedly blew into Mr. Astor's garden, and he was just as surprised as she was. Mr. Astor wasn't fond of unexpected things. Each and every day, he followed the same routine, rising with the sun, breakfasting on tea and toast, and then preparing for work. The garden was his home, and it was the only place where he wanted to spend his days without any fuss or nonsense. But tending a new seed fit neatly into Mr. Astor's routine. Each morning, first thing after his tea and toast, he made sure that she had soil for her roots and water to grow strong. And each night he tucked a warm quilt around her before bidding her a good night. In the warmth of the greenhouse, the little seed grew bit by bit under Mr. Astor's care. One bright evening, she peered through her leaves and was astonished to discover the green and glass world around her. And on this page, we see these leafy green hands that are starting to uh, poke through the leaves. When Mr. Aster arrived in the morning, he marveled at the extraordinary plant the seed had become. Well, hello, little one. He said, welcome to our home. That very day, Mr. Astor moved the little green girl from the greenhouse out into the garden. And here we see that the little green girl is actually now a topiary or a shrub in the form of a girl. So she's all green and leafy. She doesn't really have facial features. We just see her, her face and a dress and her hair all made out of leaves. The little green girl was curious about everything. While he smoothed the damp earth around her roots, Mr. Aster told her about their world. That is a flower called a daffodil, and it blooms in the spring. No, the sky isn't always blue. Oh, what you saw last night were stars. Butterflies and birds can fly, but plants and people do not. This garden is our home and you're going to love it as much as I do. And as we go through the book, we see the little green girl continue living happily in the garden and she begins to get to know some of the animals. Further, we see the birds in particular spark her interest as they begin to tell her about different parts of the world they've flown to. And she begins to become curious about these places as well. So we see her trying to grow her leaves and stretching vines out to pull her out and move her and then she tries pulling her roots up herself but she still won't budge and is always met by Mr. Astor saying the world may be wide but we're happy here in our garden this is our home. So as we pick back up in the book we see the little green girl has gotten the animals to help her gather a pot, shovel, and a suitcase and sunglasses. So here we go. When Mr. Astor returned in the morning, the little green girl was waiting. Well then, little one, said Mr. Astor, it seems that you need more than soil and water to grow. Perhaps you also need that wide world out there. That very afternoon, Mr. Astor packed some tea and a loaf of bread for toast, a mustache comb, and his favorite watering can. When he had finished, he swung the gates open, and they stepped beyond the garden walls. And then we turn to a page in the book with no text at all. We just see the pair sitting on the beach, sitting on a park bench with pigeons, posing in front of a cactus and in a forest of tall trees. When they returned home, they found the garden in full bloom. The little green girl was surprised to discover how much she had missed it. And when the birds returned, it was the little green girl who had stories to share. While she told them of their travels, Mr. Astor ate his breakfast outside. In the weeks that followed, Mr. Astor returned to his daily routine. It was almost as though they had never been away. Almost. Then one bright morning, it was Mr. Astor who arrived unexpectedly. Good morning, little one, Mr. Astor said. The world is wide. Where would you like to go this time? And as we turn to the last page, we see a variety of Polaroids of them traveling the world together with his little dog too. the end.
1: That is a super cute book. I love that idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just thought like what a sweet story. It's really, really lovely.
2: And so fun to have a little adventure right
0: now while we're all at home. Yeah, exactly. Thinking about yeah, traveling the world and, and what you can get up to. Yeah, I I really liked in this book, um, I mean, one, I I love the overall message of, you know, needing more than just soil and water and sunshine. You know, you need need things that are outside of that. He says, perhaps you also need that wide world out there. Um, You know, I'm someone that has never really had too much of a travel bug i would say not compared to some people but (laughs) there is something to be said about kind of breaking out of your comfort zone a little bit and exploring what's out there and seeing what your your body needs right
1: (laughs) and i think that just like the story says sometimes when you do have those adventures and do have those experiences it can make you realize how lucky you are to have the home that you
3: do
0: Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah i like when they come back and uh she she just feels like she missed it a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think perhaps the one of my favorite things about this book was uh, the personification of this plant. Um, it kind of made me think a little bit about how I sometimes treat some of my house plants, uh, like Serena and I were saying at the beginning, where you know we have so much pride in taking care of our plants and seeing them grow. Um, I really liked how They kind of treated the plant as a character and it was someone that Mr. Astor could interact with. So how do you guys think viewing plants almost as living beings, maybe even, you know, imagining that they have human qualities as they grow and change. How do you think that can change how we interact with the plants around us?
2: Isn't it funny how we do that, right? Mm-hmm. Anything. I it. This question just makes me think I've been watching the TV series Community mm-hmm. and in one of the first episodes, one of the, one of the characters says, this is a pencil. His name is Kevin. And then he snaps the pencil and everyone in the room gasps. And he says, <laughs> isn't this amazing? Like, you know, you got invested in this pencil in just two seconds and all of a sudden think that it has feelings. Yeah. So, I mean, that is sort of a remarkable element of being a human is just the way that we can um become so emotionally attached to anything and you know attribute these human qualities and emotions to them um and yeah i i definitely feel that towards my plants like sometimes mm-hmm. i'll say i'll call them my plant babies yes and i have to <laughs> go around and take care of them all um yeah and i guess it just uh you know when you attribute those qualities to you to something else whether it's your plants or maybe the animals in your life Mm -hmm. um it just inspires that extra level of care and investment in them i don't what did you think matt
1: i think that like when you treat something uh, i mean first of all they are living beings as well Mm -hmm. so they do it it is a bit of a relationship that you have but i think that it it, um when you treat when you think about that and sort of apply some human um characteristics to them anthropomorphize them a little bit um i think that actually promotes a, a healthy relationship because it sort of makes it evident the fact uh, the fact that you know they're dependent upon you for certain things especially if they're a house plant and also you're dependent upon them for certain things too right i mean they're depending on you for water and soil and for protection from you know if, you, if outdoor plants from animals or if they're indoor plants from cats maybe in our household for sure yes. <laughs> um you know but then also you're dependent upon them for what they offer which you know in, in certain plants is clean air or Mm -hmm. the joy that you get from looking at them and I mean I think that by that anthropomorphization if that's a word I think um (laughs) really it it sort of highlights that relationship and it really makes evident the reciprocity of it and I think that's a healthy way to view it I have no problem with saying that I anthropomorphize lots of things in my life (laughs) a little bit
0: yeah I um I think I, I agree that I think it's a healthy thing to do. Um, It's always fun to uh, take ownership over something and really devote a lot of care to something, even if it means, um, you know, being a little goofy with it, talking to your plants or giving them names. I've never named any of my plants, but I know that some people do. Um, I've also heard things, I don't know if either of you have I've heard studies or maybe theories that if you talk to your plants, apparently they're supposed to grow better. Have either of you heard that before?
1: I have not. Is that I just did me? hear one. <laughs> I did hear one story of somebody who uh, it was on CBC. Uh, somebody was convinced that their plants could make music, yes. so they hooked up all these like electrodes to the plants mm-hmm. and then took the sound waves and were convinced that their plants could actually interact like a band. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's maybe taking the anthropomorphization to a little bit too much of a level. I think.
2: I don't know. There's some really interesting work right now on communication between plants. I think there's whole books on that, though. We could save that yeah. for another uh, radio segment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely.
4: But I do
1: think, though, I, I do think, though, that when you when you um, when you start to have that type of relationship. When you start to assign sort of feel, uh, human characteristics to, to things, it's a show of respect. Mm-hmm. I think that um, human beings do that as a way of um, acknowledging that the object that they're, that they're doing this with is on the same level as them. So I think that's a really healthy way, especially when it comes to our natural world, a really healthy way for us human beings to interact with it because it does put us on the same level. And that fond- fundamentally is a sign of respect.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's this trend going towards, you know, people having more houseplants and kind of bringing that nature into their homes and lives a bit more. So I, I really like that. I And I think this is a positive way to, to keep going about it. Mm-hmm. My if you're question- really looking...
2: Oh, if you're looking for a way to spend some time, I would suggest you guys head on to YouTube and search um, house plant tours. And oh. there's so many people just walking around their house, talking about their plants, showing them off. It's great. Oh, I love yeah. that.
0: That sounds awesome.
2: Allison, have you brought in a song for us?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I kind of <laughs> went with the overall theme of the book today about, you know dreaming big and getting out to see the world and going after what you want. So this is a great song by Ron Sexsmith. It's called Dreams Are Bigger.
4: A lot of sunlight going to waste Got to turn it on me I feel this warmth all over my face Until I'm back on my feet Nothing's as difficult as it seems Cause if your dreams are bigger than your worries you never have to worry about your dreams Oh la 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 A lot of fools you have to under, there's only so much I can take And for the blue Dark in my door, I've got to turn them away to make room for happiness. Floor to be. Cause if my dreams are bigger than my worries, I'll never have to worry about my dream. Cause if your dreams are bigger than your worries, you never have to worry about your dreams. Oh la la.
0: shelf. So, Serena, what book did you bring today about gardening for us?
2: I brought a book called The Curious Garden, written and illustrated by Peter Brown. This book um, is, I guess, pretty famous. It's won several awards, but it was published back in 2009, so I think a lot of our listeners might not be as familiar with it. Um, It has been published in I think 14 different languages and is recommended for readers age three to eight of course we always advocate uh, that any of these books can go to ages much higher than that but uh yeah it's a it's a fun book it's one that's new to me um i just found it by getting on youtube and i searched garden read aloud Mm -hmm. and listened to a, a bunch of different books and this is one that really piqued my interest I'm gonna share it with you today, and I'm gonna tell you my question for you before I read the book. Mm -hmm. So in this book, I'm just wanting you guys to think about what lesson or lessons you might take from the garden or the gardener, because those are really the two characters in this book, the garden and the gardener. And you two know that this is a strategy we often use in classes. Before we read a book, we'll pose the question to the students and just let them have that question in mind as we read. Mm -hmm. So with that, we will read, The Curious Garden, written and illustrated by Peter Brown. There once was a city without gardens or trees or greenery of any kind. Most people spent their time indoors. As you can imagine, it was a very dreary place. However, there was one boy who loved being outside, even on drizzly days. While everyone else stayed inside, you could always find Liam happily splashing through his neighborhood. Now Liam goes on a bit of an adventure here and finds um, there's an old railway line and he makes his way up to the old railway line to discover what is what is um, on this railway line so he says the first thing he saw was a lonely patch of color wildflowers and plants were the last things he had expected to find up there but when he took a closer look it became clear that the plants were dying they needed a gardener Liam may not have been a gardener but he knew that he could help so he returned to the railway the very next day and got to work. The flowers nearly drowned and he had a few pruning problems, but the plants patiently waited while Liam found better ways of gardening. As the weeks rolled by, Liam began to feel like a real gardener and the plants began to feel like a real garden. Most gardens stay in one place, but this was no ordinary garden. With miles of open railway ahead of it, The garden was growing restless. It wanted to explore. The tough little weeds and mosses were the first to move. They popped up farther and farther down the tracks and were closely followed by the more delicate plants. Over the next few months, Liam and the curious garden explored every corner of the railway. After spending his spring and summer and autumn with the garden, Liam's time on the railway was finally interrupted by winter. Heavy blankets of snow fell on the city that season And for the first time since he became a gardener, Liam could not visit the plants. Rather than waste his winter worrying about his garden, Liam spent it preparing for spring. After three cold months, the snow finally began to melt, and Liam rolled his new gardening gear over to the railway. Winter had taken a toll on the garden, but thanks to Liam's planning, his handy new tools, and a little help from the sun, the plants soon awoke from their winter sleep. The garden had always wanted to explore the rest of the city, and that spring it was finally ready to make its move. Once again, the tough little weeds and mosses set out first. They popped out further and further by the railway, and were closely followed by the more delicate plants. The garden was especially curious about old forgotten things. A few plants popped up where they didn't belong. Others mysteriously popped up all at once. But the most surprising thing that popped up were the new gardeners and the um, illustration show all of these members of the city now taking up gardening and there's a little bit more to the story but i'm just going to leave it there because i love that as a as an ending for it so yeah what did you guys think of this one
1: i really like the uh um the the especially hearing allison's story last uh segment and then this story in this segment i like seeing the sort of connections you could see both gardens obviously wanted to move and explore different things I thought that was an interesting thing also the anthropomorphization of uh, the gardens as well it's nice to hear those things back to back like that
2: Mm -hmm. that that gardens being at gardens or plants being their own character is really a theme that runs through this whole week isn't it yeah
0: exactly yeah all of our books the plants kind of set their mind to something and and go about it in their own way whether it's in a, a positive or more challenging way but yeah <laughs> I, I really, really so...
1: to want to explore things too right exactly
0: yeah so
2: was there any lesson that jumped out at you guys
0: um one line that kind of stuck with me throughout that was when the little boy is first uh trying to take care of the plant and it says i think it was something like it was a little too wet or he didn't do he didn't have the right tools but the plant was patient. Um, I think it said something like that and I really like that because you know people don't always get things right the first time Um, you know the little boy is not the perfect gardener and he doesn't know everything there is to know about gardening but you know he's just trying his best he's trying to figure out what works. So I kind of like that lesson in, you know, relationships with people in that they're maybe not always going to do everything perfect, but if you're patient with them, they'll they'll figure it out and, and they'll get there and, and you it can become a reciprocal relationship.
2: Yeah, sort of a story about persistence. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I found that the, uh, or what I took away from the story was that if you do something well and you invest a lot of time and care into it, then other people will start to take notice and other people will also start to buy in and realize that it might be something that they want to do. And I love the way that you ended with that, the fact that the new gardeners are springing up just like a garden of themselves because they see how much that Liam cares for the garden and how his time and effort has turned it into something beautiful and something that everybody can share in.
0: Yeah, exactly, you know, it's always, Uh, inspiring when you see someone else do something and it might have just started as a small little project but as you see them work away at it 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 always makes you want to join in in some way right or or start a little project of your own I know that I love taking walks down our street and seeing uh, our different neighbors that have different gardens going on and it always kind of inspires me to figure out what we can do with our space and and kind of try out some new things, just like they are.
1: And I can't tell how many times that's happened to me, whether it's with music, or whether it's with with, with it some uh, type of creative project, where I've seen somebody who really feels passionately about what they're doing, or about what they're creating, and it inspires me to want to learn a little bit more about whatever they're doing, or maybe even try it for myself.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, passion is really contagious, isn't it? Yeah. Well, for me, the line that really struck me was, Rather than waste his winter worrying about the garden, Liam spent it preparing for spring. I thought Mm. that was such a great um, idea and really spoke to me right now in this, what this um, current situation where we're all at home sort of felt like a bit of a winter to me. We're all locked in and inside. And instead of spending it worrying as much as we can, let, I felt like we should try and learn from Liam and spend it preparing for the spring. What can we mm-hmm. do um, in this time to prepare for what comes next?
0: Yeah, it's it sometimes can be hard to, you know, think about something you want to take on. And it's easy to kind of worry about all like what could go wrong or what could get in the way of that happening. But, you know, just trying to stay positive and And just putting in the work to get the job done i think that's a really important lesson that can be hard to follow through on sometimes but if we can try to internalize that a little bit more um, i think that's a really important lesson the
1: other thing is that spring is always coming Mm -hmm. you know so there's we all we we can just plan for it and prepare for it with the knowledge that spring will come whether it's this spring with the the situation that's going on in our lives or the spring in the book with the the after winter, it's always going to be coming.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sort of that cyclical nature, Mm -hmm. we're always going to have, you know, those winters and those challenging times. But, you know, these things pass and there's always something uh, sunny to look forward to in the future.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like there's always something kind of reassuring about spring Uh, for whatever reason, you know, just it's always really tricky to get through that winter but then when spring comes and you just start to see the little bit of green poke through the soil it's it's always like a reassuring feeling like ah yes nature is doing what it's supposed to be doing you know Mm -hmm. whatever is going on around me or in my personal life the the little bulbs will always poke up and the leaves will begin to grow and you know nature is doing its own thing and it's very reassuring to to always see that
2: Yeah, there's kind of a consistency and stability to it that's very reassuring
1: that's how i'm feeling right now when i'm looking at my window and seeing the plants popping through in the garden and serena i'm this has such been such an uplifting book i'm really excited to hear what song you have paired for it
2: i have chosen another song that will i hope will be equally uplifting um this one actually takes us outside of canada to uh a, the Caribbean folk scene, mm-hmm. something that a lot of our listeners probably haven't heard before. This song is by Elkin Robinson and it is Sunna Shine.
3: Jump soon off my bed when the sun starts climbing the hill. See the lights through my window, everybody's sleeping still. Palm leaf dance the wind, hear the river come down past me Feel the heat in the sun, though sound like a gamma sea Let's get up, fine, fine To dig and plant the seeds. I feel good about today. Gonna make a little time to bleed. You smile at the blue sky. Turn to me and say, Let's get up. Fine, 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 fine. Oh, yeah. It's time to see the sunshine. It's a new day today. And we got a sun to read. It's time to see the sunshine.
0: much everyone for joining us for another episode of midtown bookshelf where we could celebrate spring and share books all about gardening and gardens so today on the program you heard matt read
1: tokyo digs a garden by john eric lapano and illustrated by kellen hanataka
0: i shared with you the little green girl written and illustrated by lisa ankin and serena read for us
2: the curious garden written and illustrated
0: by Peter Brown. So thanks so much, guys. And we're looking forward to sharing another episode with everyone next week. But until then, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the spring, and take care.